Shadow's Bastion has concluded, and while we prepare for the last chapter of our saga, we need to clear up a few loose ends. It's time to go beyond the veil. These next few episodes are going to be pretty different. We're going to be a little more candid and a little more raw with what's going on. We've gotten a few questions from various readers and listeners, and this is a good opportunity for us to answer it while we are still completing Bryle's Descent. Everything that we have written so far, of all the works that have come out, whether it's been Nathair, Ascension, Whisperleaf, Demise of the Sun God, and Shadow's Bastion, have all kind of centered around a single event. Well, we're working on the final piece of that puzzle, which is the descent, in which Bryle is actually submerged and the War of the Gods essentially comes to an end. These are all prequel works into the By Gods and Kings universe, but it's stories that we wanted to tell, and it's stories that we wanted to start with before we kept this journey going. So I guess we're going to begin with what's next. Um, Bryle's Descent, or The Descent as we're calling it now, is a little bit different from the other works in that the other works have either focused on one or two characters. The Descent's actually going to focus on four. The first one I want to mention is a person you met in Thayer Ascension. Her name is Gervania, and she is a God-touched follower of Malaris, originally of Valkus. She is very gifted in the art of conjuring earth and fire, but in mixing in the chaos magic of Malaris. She has a very wicked part to play in the descent, especially with what's going on there and the attacks and whatnot. The second person is somebody who has been mentioned a bunch, and he also appeared briefly in the Thayer Ascension, and that is Eblis Mertrand. And as a spoiler, without really being a spoiler, he is one of the most important characters in the entire universe. The story of Eblis Mertrand and his sister Elise is one we're going to tell at some point. Um, and how they came up and become God-touched followers of Bessia, but Elise is married to Malaris, and it's just a big old kerfuffle. Um, they have a son, who is the third person that we'll be focusing on in the descent. His name is Latros. Latros is a demigod. He's born of a God-touched and a god. You also met him in Nathair Ascension. So with those three people that I brought up, we're going to be tying in Ascension a bunch into this work. Um, the fourth person is someone you've not met yet. Her name is Visharis, and she is a priest of Dahar, and she is stationed in the city of Yark. Um, I'm not really going to get too into that, because Yark's a desert city. Yark is the stronghold of Dahar. There really is no point getting further into that. It's just, it's details you're going to hear about soon. Um, the biggest thing that I can impress on you right now is there's going to be a lot more God-touched entering the fray. I am, however, going to put the power in your hands. Um, we've developed a pretty good following of our stories and whatnot, and since Bryle's Descent, or the Descent, is not 100%, we could still release what we have done. We've got the first seven, eight chapters finished. We'll probably get more done. We can probably start releasing it next week if we chose to. But what we're going to ask of you guys, and we're going to put it in a poll here on Spotify, would you like to go ahead and see us release it? It the problem would come is we may not get on a schedule like we've been on Shadows Bastion. Shadows Bastion, we were doing two releases a week. With Brawl, with The Scent, we may end up looking at one release a week until we catch up. But because it's got so many point of views and it's got so many different things happening and a lot of action, it's taking a little bit longer for us to get it done. And we want to put out a good, completed work for you guys because we were very proud of what we're doing. 
But at the same time, we also want to make sure we're satisfying our listener base. And when we get back here in a moment, I'm going to answer a user question on what actually is going to happen to Crix and to Kuros. So to preface this, we love listener questions. We got this one in on our website in the contact form by godsandkings.com. Uh, the question that we got in was about Cricks and Kuros specifically and what's going to happen to the God Touch servant of Darien and the now the conduit of the Sunshire Stockades. Well, I can't get too much into Cricks because we're going to tell more of his story in the future. I don't want to give spoilers, and if I go further with Cricks right now, it will be a spoiler. So we're going to put him on the back burner and let's just say his story is far from over and you're going to see a lot more of him and what actually becomes of him in the coming months. Kuros' story, however, is finished for now. Um, we're going to link now into the tabletop version of By Gods and Kings, the system that uses the subscription interactive novel system. And in it, in the multiplayer version of the game, there is a scenario within Silhouette of Annihilation called the Sunshire Stockades. If you've never played it or even never heard of it, it's on bygodsandkings.com. We are currently in the process of making a single-player tabletop RPG version of the game, which is going to be in a future episode uh, where I'm going to get more into that. But you can also, there are instructions on how to play the multiplayer as a single player. I digress. Kuros' story comes to a abrupt conclusion in the Sunshire Stockades. So for a few thousand years, he and the other God-touched who are within the Sunshire Stockade, would be Banthius, who serves um, Talgis, the person who eventually serves Xylene, and then Bartholomew Constellatz, who serves Saria, and then, of course, the five other servants of Darien, Warnier, Draenalt, Albatron, Rizali, and Chalice, are all in there. They're all trapped within that stockade, and they can't get out. And they can't get out because of the power of Kuros. So what I'm going to do now is talk about Kuros specifically, and I'm going to answer two questions that have been asked by various other people at different times throughout the game's creation. The first of which is, how powerful is Kuros actually? Um, the easiest way to answer that is when you have the power, uh, when you have the soul and essence of seven God-touched connected to your body, you're going to be pretty powerful. Um, the players, when they play through the Sunshire Stockades, realize how powerful Kuros is. That being said, Kuros is defeatable. Anybody in, in within By Gods and Kings is defeatable. Ebelus Mertrand, the right hand of Vesia, is defeatable. Um, Nathair is defeatable. They're all they're all able to be beaten. Kuros's superiority is simply within the confines of the Sunshire Stockades and the magic that was used to create it. The second thing I'm going to answer is what actually happens in the time between the scenario of the Sunshire Stockades and Shadow's Bastion, the book. Do people actually stumble in there? Do things happen? And the answer is yes. People venture into the Sunshire Stockades all the time and they never come out. Um, eventually, Relius, the mayor of Sunshire, will board it up and tell no one to go in. Vagrants, vagabonds... People who are unsavory will venture in from time to time and they will never come out and no one will bat an eye. Sunshire has a reputation for being the city in which magical things happen. The simplest way to put Kuros's power, though, and the people stumbling into the Sunshire Stockades and linking them together, 
is once somebody enters the stockade and they die, their essence is bound to Kuros and he becomes stronger. His power can become infinite. The people who enter and they don't die have an opportunity to defeat him. In Sunshine Stockades, in the tabletop, that is what happens. Without getting a spoiler, not telling you if they actually defeat Kuros or if they just simply manage to escape, I'm going to leave that to the side. It's players or people who are alive have an opportunity to defeat him. So let's just say Ebelus Mertron, the arguably the strongest of the God Touch, though I would argue Drusilla might have a little bit on him. If he were to stumble into the Sunshire Stockades and not die, he would actually be able to put up a fight against Kuros. However, the second that his essence leaves his body and he dies, Kuros will have the ultimate upper hand and, and Ebelus will never be able to escape. We're going to take one more quick break, pay the bills, and then we're going to bring up the final part of the day's podcast, the final part of Days Beyond the Veil, and explain the difference between this world that we're in now with Shadows Bastion, Whisperleaf, and the books, and then the world in which By Gods and Kings, the game actually takes place. So we will be right back. So now we're going to go over the difference in the Dunais. We're going to talk about the Dunai from the audio works that we've just released and the Dunai from the game itself. And they're starkly different. Now, for the most part, the topography is the is the same. But the biggest difference is that, and as we discussed in Nathair Ascension, the gods don't have much of a presence in the Dunai of the game. Simply, the Vesia has removed their, their presence. And so, man is kind of running things. In the Dunai of the game, you've got the three biggest players, which is Shorek, which controls the Confederation of Small Kingdoms, which has uh, Sunshire, Firak, Wurz, and a few others. You've got Teardret on the other end of Quar, who's a very large player. They've got a very powerful army of what they call Mage Knights, who all control shards, and it's they're very powerful. And the other is Merdul in the center of Urne. The other big issue is that there are no more temples that are active. There are no more priests who can wield the knowledge of the gods. There are no more abbots. There are no more high priests. In the world of the tabletop, the power of the gods rests in the, in the shards, in the Ulman shards. And so any player can wield the power of the gods that way, and they can mix and match. Whereas before, a god touch could only wield two different gods' powers. Priests could probably do the same. One of the similarities in the two is that... The underworld groups still exist. Kordistas, for example, is still in Dunai. Whether it be before the descent of Bra or after. Um, the Haitian merchants still exist. The Georgias pirates still exist. There's still a whole bunch of people that still exist. And so there still is an actual underworld that is thriving. So in conclusion, we're going to be doing a few of these coming out in the next couple weeks um the next one's going to be more about the actual tabletop itself i want to discuss some of the new shards we've got coming out i want to really discuss the single player version we've got coming out that's in development right now very excited about showing you guys the story of serosa so with that being said i hope you guys have a great next few days uh, this is chris with scriptcrib.com and by gods and kings and i look forward to talking to y'all soon have a great afternoon